Hi, and welcome to another edition of AP's Profiles in Christian Living. Today I have a special guest with me, Mr. James Jeffrey, who is currently studying at Christ College in Sydney and is also an MTS student at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church at Rhodes. Welcome, James. It's great to have you with us. Thank you, Mark. Now, James, you've got a very interesting background, um, not just culturally, but also spiritually. Can you just tell us a little bit about how you first came to faith in Christ? Yeah, so I grew up in a family that preached the gospel from the moment I was born, so I'm really thankful to have uh, that heritage, to have the promise given to me from that early age. Uh, but I think that during my early sort of high school years, later teens, I really started to own this for myself. I started to see that sin is not just this idea, but it's a reality. Uh, it's a state of my heart where I'm in rebellion against God. And I think over time, uh, just that reality started to hit me deeper and deeper. And um, my own need of grace became more apparent. And I think during my sort of late high school years, I just started to see that repentance is not just something I ought to call other people to do, but it's something that I need to do in my own heart. So I think that that's when I really started to see God start to work in my life. Yeah. Um, and ever since then, it's just been a journey, uh, seeing more of uh, Him and less of me, I think. Yeah. yeah. Now, involved in that journey, I guess, is also a political journey because before studying at Christ College, uh, you, all, you studied political science at Sydney University. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey as well and how that related to your own faith? Yeah, um, so ever since I was young, I think I've always been concerned about justice. I've been concerned about uh, seeing the right thing done uh, in society as well as in the church. And yeah. uh, throughout high school, uh, that concern for justice really led me to embrace a lot of social movements. Um, so in high school, I was the head of the social justice committee okay. um, among my prefects, and I was pushing for uh, campaigns to engage in fair trade, um, for climate action, those sort of things. Um, and I really believe that that was uh, what God had called us to do in upholding justice. And so in my desire to, I guess, um, uphold justice, I saw these movements as the way in which God had called me. Mm -hmm. um, but over time, I realized that a lot of these movements are underpinned not by uh, a biblical definition of justice or a biblical notion of justice, um, but rather a secular understanding of justice. And that became more apparent as I went to university, I uh, started studying political and economic science uh, and just seeing a lot of the veneer uh, on these social movements that were actually quite uh, malicious at their heart. Okay, so now there'd be a lot of people uh, watching and listening to this that would go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Like, how is biblical justice um, antithetical to what you're describing mm. as being like secular, uh, a secular definition of justice? Can you clarify? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a biblical definition of justice uh, upholds God's standard of righteousness. Right. It's fundamentally um, grounded and anchored in the character of God because God is righteous. He is justice. Um, the secular understanding of justice very much sees justice as synonymous with equality, okay. uh, especially equality of outcome. Okay. And so where there is an, an inequality of outcome, wherever that is, uh, there must be injustice. That's the sort of cultural understanding of uh, injustice and justice that is uh, propagated most today. Uh, and so I think that coming into it from a biblical perspective says, yes, there are certain inequalities that need to be eradicated in society through charity, yep. um, through generosity, through all sorts of means. Uh, but the sort of uh, justice that sees inequalities as inherently evil uh, is not biblical justice. In fact, there's a lot of inequalities we see uh, in the world which are just a result of being created um, in a world where we're different. Uh, the, the biggest difference, you know, being the one of gender, that mm -hmm. men and women are different and yeah. that there are different outcomes purely based on the fact that we're born 
uh, differently. And that's something to be uh, celebrated rather than to be uh, tried to be eradicated. Okay, so let's take a controversial <laughs> one there. Um, uh, the gender pay gap. Yep. Um, is, it, is it a case that there is an inherent injustice that's going on in our society in that regard? Your thoughts? Uh, well, that's what uh, we hear a lot through the media, that there is a great injustice being done to women because uh, average, on the average, women are, uh, are paid less in terms of the overall income that they earn. Over the course of their lifetime. Yeah, over the course of their lifetime. However, if you look at uh, industries specifically uh, with men and women who are in the same role, there's actually no pay gap whatsoever. Um, and if there was a pay gap, it's so marginal that it's, uh, mm. it's not even be, you can't even see it really. Yeah. Um, and so when we consider factors like, um, you know, hours worked, um, part-time versus full-time work, yeah. uh, career choices, time in the workplace versus time taken off for maternity leave, all these other factors, yeah. we see that there's actually not a pay gap and that a lot of the time women's choices are just different from men in that they will choose to take off time to have a child. Uh, and that obviously is going to impact the uh, economy and their economic outcomes in life. So in that regard, um, is it still appropriate, do you think, for Christians to be uh, using the phrase social justice? Uh, it may have been once upon a time. Uh, in the Federalist Papers of America's uh, founding fathers, they mentioned uh, the word social justice to talk about a state and society that where uh, equality of law was applied to all people. And that sort of justice is the justice that we ought to fight for biblically. We ought to hold everyone equally accountable under the law. Uh, but the social justice today that views inequality as morally evil, um, it, it very much is a socialistic social justice, like socialism. Uh, until we see equality of outcome, we don't have justice. Uh, definitely not that sort of social justice. And so when we talk about social justice today, um, the connotations that it has are such that we are not just subscribing to um, a view of society that seeks to help people, but actually a view of society that's mm. socialistic yeah, uh, and that is actually antithetical to biblical Christianity. So it's op operating really from a completely different worldview. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of what we see today in culture and society is sloganeering. So the use of slogans to communicate uh, much larger narratives and much larger worldviews, but the slogan itself is a hook that gets you into that worldview. Yeah. And so without realizing it, uh, campaigns like Black Lives Matter, social justice, safe schools, women's rights, women's, you, all, the, all these sort of movements are all um, hooks that draw people into larger secular ideologies without people realizing it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who are completely unbeknownst to it um, and who are really well-intended, I think, mm -hmm. but end up sliding into these movements um, by a lot of a lot of people at the top who are yeah. uh, intentionally and quite maliciously misleading people. I yeah. Think. yeah. Um, was there a moment when you were at university where you felt like there was a tipping point where you went, "Oh my gosh, my, my whole paradigm for viewing the world is changing here." Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, in my second year of university, I had um, a Catholic um, tutor mm -hmm. who was really gracious enough to meet up with me after class, have lunch with me sometimes. We still keep in touch quite a lot. Right. But he put me onto a few books, um, which by God's grace expounded biblical justice better than anything I'd seen before. Wow. Um, and, and some of these books were not even written by a Christian, which yeah. is the remarkable thing. So like by books God, like Thomas Sowell. Yeah, like Thomas Sowell. Um, even I read uh, The Conscience of a Conservative by Barry Goldwater. Uh, mm. Books like this started to get me thinking, are things as bad as people are making them out to be? Mm. Or do we live in one of the most prosperous societies in all of history? Um, and, and what is really the larger issues at play? What, what are they? So, 
Yeah. I mean, what are the dangers, do you think, for evangelical Christians um, to be adopting um, a socially progressive mindset on these issues? I think that the first and foremost danger is that it threatens the integrity of the gospel. Okay. Because we are not focusing on what Christ has achieved, uh, what Christ has won through his death and resurrection um, and the benefits uh, of that. So looking at, say, the issue of gender or race, Mm -hmm. uh, there is equality before God uh, because of uh, what Christ has wrought on the cross Mm -hmm. for us. And so rather than looking at Christ, we look at society. We try and fix society to look like a utopia um, that doesn't even look like the utopia promised in the new creation. Uh, And we fixate our minds on uh, creating this utopia, which ends up diverting our attention away from the gospel. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that they are compatible aims because some Christians might think, well, can't you just have both? Can't you Mm -hmm. have Christ and this? But ultimately, they are are distinctive ideologies, distinctive um, gospels. Mm. And so I would say that the social justice gospel, in a sense, is a false gospel that's drawing us away from Christ. Mm -hmm. Uh, And not only that... Because there are so many uh, assumptions in the social justice movement, we end up taking an ideology that's fundamentally anti-Christian uh, without even realizing it. Yeah. There's a lot of assumptions. Uh, and so if you look on a lot of these uh, websites that, uh, that lobby for these issues, whether it's uh, Extinction Rebellion, which is the major climate change movement, um, or if you look at uh, Safe Schools, or if you look at the Black Lives Matter About Us page, uh, we'll see quite clearly quite upfront that these movements are not about restoring uh, justice from a biblical perspective. In fact, they're about destroying society rather than building it up. Okay, now you touch on a, a few things there. I, I'm really familiar with the safe schools, but a lot of people might not be uh, as familiar with the Black Lives Matter movement and its Marxist foundations. Can you just uh, explain a little bit and clarify? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in the 60s and 70s in America, there was an organization called the Black Panthers, uh, who were revolutionary Marxist um, African-American activists. Mm. And um, they were campaigning against injustices at the time, which we were, as biblical Christians should say that's a, that's a right thing to hate, a right thing to, to rail against. Yeah. Um, but the way that they went about it and the ideology that they had um, going into that movement was not a, not a biblical ideology. And mm. over time, that movement has sort of shifted and changed and transformed, and now we see it most prominent in the Black Lives Matter movement which again you know who who doesn't believe black lives matter yeah that's the that's the way that they've marketed themselves yeah and so uh, the black lives matter movement today is uh founded and directed by um outspokenly marxist uh, yeah. activists in the universities who believe in the abolition of gender the abolition uh, of the nuclear family or as we mm. would say as christians a biblical family of a mother and a father uh, and children uh, and they are outspokenly in support of transgenderism, uh, queer ideology, all of these other things, which on the surface you'd think Black Lives Matter, mm. how does that have anything to do with these? Yeah. And yet it's a, a, it's a whole system of ideologies wrapped up in this bundle that's so attractive to yeah. especially millennials, I think, who, who are quite, um, quite disillusioned with the world and, mm. and desire to uphold something, desire to live for yeah. something. And yeah. um, it just it, it's, it pulls them in. Because when you're talking about the slogan, uh, for instance, like safe schools, everybody's against bullying. Absolutely. Or Black Lives Matter. Of course we want to affirm um, people from another race. But you're saying behind the slogan is a deeper ideology that's antithetical to the Christian faith. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I, I can't 
uh, I can't number the amount of friends and Christians I've seen who've uh, fought for these movements mm. under the guise that, you know, I, I don't want transgender people in schools to be bullied, mm. which any biblical Christian should say, absolutely, we don't want them to be bullied. Yeah. Um, or those who are uh, in the, in the African-American uh, population, we don't want to hate them. We, we believe that their lives matter. Mm. And even like deaths in custody, that matters to us as Christians. Mm. Um, or, or even the whole women's rights issues. You mm. know, we, we care about, you know, women being sexually abused. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. And so uh, rather, than, um, rather than seeing these movements and the ideologies that underpin them, often we're so quick to jump on them and say, yes, I affirm them mm-hmm. in the pursuit of being, uh, being biblical and loving and mm-hmm. upholding justice rather than taking a serious think and thinking, well, uh, is there an alternative? Is there a way that we can uphold this using scripture uh, with our with our own um, spheres and organisations, rather than jumping onto a movement that's malicious in intent, is part of the problem here too. Um, by adopting that slogan, you're letting um, a, a worldview that is antithetical to the Christian faith frame the narrative and drive the agenda. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, so, for instance, the the reason why Black Lives Matter, if we were to just take that as an example, the reason why Black Lives Matter is not because uh, Black Lives Matter says so; it's because we're all made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, the, even the Black Lives Matter movement, by insisting that there are different races of people, yep. uh, I don't know if the biblical narrative upholds that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all one in Christ. We're all uh, descended from Adam. Mm-hmm. And so without, without realizing it, we're subtly buying into a lot of these uh, pillars of uh, ideology, which we're not even realizing they're antithetical to biblical Christianity. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, the irony is, is that it ends up being divisive uh, by creating this division between races, this separation. Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, like one of, one of my closest friends is Ethiopian and I, I don't want to make a thing of it, but I don't see him as you know, my black friend. Mm. He's my friend and I don't, I don't make an issue of it every time we spend time together. But uh, through, a, through a Marxist ideology where we view uh, whites as oppressors and yeah. blacks as the oppressed, yeah. you cannot look at society in any other way. Mm. Uh, and so you end up viewing uh, other people through this, um, this dialectical lens where there's just oppressors and oppressed. Yeah. And so with, with my friendships, I, I, don't, I don't think about that as a, as a matter of um, their identity. As and much hence, as it's a completely different yep. framework, isn't it? So yep. rather than seeing our rebellion against God as the fundamental problem, it's our, it's our race, which we can do really nothing about. We can't change. Exactly. Yeah, there's really only two types of people in this world. There's those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. Yeah. Um, it's, not a, it's not a dialectic of black and white, men and women. And, and this is not to disregard the fact that there are sins uh, historically and currently mm. that are committed between... Uh, by white people against black people, by black people against white people, mm. by men against women, women against men. It's not to deny that. Uh, but what it is to say is that the fundamental framework through which we view people is not by race or gender. Yeah. It's actually by the gospel. Well, and that touches on to the solution. So if we reframe the problem as being race and not rebellion, mm. uh, and if we, we're also then reframing the solution, aren't we? Oh, absolutely, um, So yeah. we're not seeing the gospel as sufficient then to really um, solve humanity's deepest problems and needs yeah absolutely because yeah. the because the ultimate outcome is racial reconciliation yeah and for uh for the movements uh like black lives matter racial reconciliation does not look like a legal system where everyone has equal rights under the law mm. it looks like a society where uh 
black people are receiving reparations for sins that were committed 300 years ago. Yeah. And it's an impossible pursuit to try and fix all the historical wrongs. Yeah. The only way we can uh, move forward in such a broken world is to, um, to have justice and consistency under the law and to treat one another as human beings, which, yeah. which the Black Lives Matter movement is not seeking to do. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Uh, now, I, uh, just touching on the, the whole, I guess, movement that you've had, I guess, what we'd call today from the political left um, to a more conservative position, there'd be some people that would be very concerned that, oh, this polarisation politically that's happened, left and right, Christians should be neither. They, they should stand um, above all of that. What would be your response to that? We don't want to fundamentally be identifying ourselves as left or right as Christians. I, mm. I don't believe that they're helpful characteristics. Yeah. Um, and this is why I don't think you know, in ministry we should be um, purely presenting ourselves as either like in the U.S. Sense, in the U.S. context, Republican or Democrat, or in the uh, Australian context, liberal or labor. However, there are definitely values being fought for in the public square that are more consistent with biblical Christianity on either party. Uh, I think that the when, when we look at left and right uh, today, uh, leftism finds its roots very much in Marxist ideology. And so I think that we can, as a um, as Christians, fundamentally reject leftism as an ideology mm -hmm. because it is fundamentally mm -hmm. anti-Christian. However, if we consider... Uh, the conservative right, there is a remnant within conservatism which is rooted in biblical Christianity. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think that the the opposite ends of the spectrum are not uh, communism and fascism yeah. or you know uh, leftism and rightism, but I think that we ought to see biblical Christianity as that which we want to uphold in the mm -hmm. political sphere. And that's why I think organizations like the Australian Christian Lobby do such a magnificent job of fighting for these issues uh, in a non-polarizing manner. Mm -hmm. uh, that being said, though, at times, there are situations politically where we need to vote against certain policies and against certain parties because of the degree of wickedness which they seek to uphold and seek to le uh, legislate. And so I think that the issue of abortion, say, recently yeah. is an issue which I'm willing to vote for essentially uh, any party that's fighting against um, you know, the right to... It, as a Christian, that should be a no-brainer, shouldn't I, it? I think so. Mm. Um, and not to just pull the uh, the Hitler card, but yeah. if we were living in Nazi Germany, I think that it would be uh, justified to vote for a candidate, say, who's got uh, less of a, a uh, you, you know, a background of being a person of integrity yeah. who's fighting against Hitler yeah. and to vote for someone who's... Yeah, you know. well, it was Martin Luther that used to say better to vote for um, a good Turk as a governor... Uh, than a bad Christian uh, who was inept. Yeah. Um, so there's precedent with that. Um, do you think there's any dangers um, with the conservative movement? Like Christians might naturally identify um, with conservative um, politics, but is there any danger that we need to be aware of? I, th I think there are many dangers. Um, I think that the first danger we have is that we can identify ourselves more with conservative than we do with Christ. Yeah. I think that's the greatest danger mm -hmm. uh, when we identify ourselves first and foremost as a Republican or as a Liberal Party member, whoever, whatever it is, yeah. uh, rather than seeing our identity fundamentally rooted in who Christ says we are as children of God. Mm -hmm. yep. That's the, the first one. And I think that um, another danger is on the conservative right, there is a sect that is quite libertarian. Mm -hmm. um, and for those who aren't familiar with libertarianism, it's sort of the political doctrine that um, being free to do what we, we like is a fundamental human right. Now, as biblical Christians, I think that that's just fundamentally idolatry. The idea that we have the right to do whatever we want, whether it's taking drugs or just being licentious with our sexuality. And so 
we ought to wholeheartedly reject certain sects that masquerade as being conservative and they might be against certain values like communism and against the whole uh, totalitarianism yeah yeah which, but then they turn freedom for instance into an idol yeah exactly and so you know at the end of judges in those days israel had no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes yeah and so it's uh it's just as bad a situation if not worse mm. to have no government okay excellent well if i might just change track a bit because you you're in the process of writing a book how to survive university as a christian now i'm really excited by this because i see so many of um, our young people at church going into uni and a finding deep challenge in their faith. Um, can you just, why write a book like this? I mean, because you're not far out of university yourself. Mm. Uh, I think there's just a massive need. Um, if there was something out at the moment which addressed these issues at length in a sort of succinct way, um, I wouldn't feel the need. But yep. there has been so little addressing how do you actually deal with uh, going through Christian as a university. I remember reading a small book, How to Survive Seminary as a Christian. <laughs> I think it was a uh, foreword by John Piper. I forget the exact author of yeah, the book. Yeah, right. But I thought that's a wonderful, it's a wonderful book for people to read. Imagine if there was something for Christians at university. Mm. Um, and a lot of Christians don't know how to survive spiritually, uh, relationally, financially, emotionally, you know, politically. How do, how do you navigate this sphere that so, seems so different to... Okay, so well, give <laughs> us a taste. There'd be a lot of parents out there watching this or maybe even a lot of young people <clears throat> and thinking, okay, I'm about to... Enter into the lion's den that is the secular university. There's good Christian groups there, um, but what's your strategy? And in particular, how does it relate, I think, to the role of the local church that people might be going to? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, there's a lot that happens at university. There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of wonderful evangelism. There's a lot of growth that can happen. Mm. I think that um, as for the local church, I think that it's so important for university students to realize the importance of the local church early in life. Mm -hmm. uh, commit to a local church, become a member at your local church and mm -hmm. invest yourself in the local church. Mm -hmm. Not to the exclusion of all other ministries, but that is your fundamental priority mm -hmm. uh, as God's people in a certain place at a certain time. Yeah, And so I think that the local church ensures that you are held accountable mm -hmm. during university. It ensures you're around a community of people who are older than you, more mm -hmm. mature, people who are younger, who you can disciple. Mm -hmm. And it really serves as an anchor by which God really um, blesses us, really shows his grace towards us, not in a Catholic way, but in the real uh, relational way where you're amongst God's people, receiving the sacraments regularly, where you're hearing his word preached yeah. and where you're investing yourself and growing as a Christian. Yeah, because there'd be a lot of people that go to university and have actually, myself included, um, come to an understanding of the gospel um, at university. But do you think there's also a danger that for Christians like yourself that have grown up in a Christian family and have come to an understanding and of the gospel and a trust in Jesus early on, uh, that university, now this is a little bit controversial, but university ministries can actually take you away from your local church. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I knew many people in university who were just involved in university ministries mm. or to such a degree that the only time they spent time with church was on the Sunday at the service and then okay, straight And after. why is that a problem? Uh, I'd say it's a problem because university ministry is not, a, a realistic portrait of what it's like to live as a Christian. Okay. It's, it's an environment that is often hyped up. Mm -hmm. Again, I, I love university ministry. I'm so thankful that they exist. Mm -hmm. And I think that without them, we'd be uh, in a much worse place. But what they can create is a environment of hype where it's popular to go to events. So it's, it's at least fun to go to a lot of events. Mm -hmm. uh, you're spending a lot of time with people who are your own age. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's a monoculture that, yep. that is apparent at university. Yep. 
And I think that if you invest so much time in university ministries and not in your local church, you know, what happens when you finish university? Mm. There's no longer any more university ministries to hold you up and to equip you yep. as good as they are. Yep. It's your local church that you're committing to. Yeah. And so yep. if you haven't forged those strong relationships, it's going to be uh, quite an awkward transition for a lot of people. And so I think to, to make the most of it, it's so good to invest in those relationships before and during university. Yeah. Uh, so that uh, at those major transition points where you finish school, go to university, when you finish university, go to work, you're not actually falling through the cracks. You've got mm. people around you who care for you yeah. and who are lovingly supporting you. Yeah. Okay. So there's important spiritual things to be aware of as, as um, young people going to university. How can they prepare themselves intellectually to face the challenges that they're going to be confronted with? Yeah, um, university is really great because it prepares you to engage with the mm -hmm. secular world yep. uh, and with those who don't believe. That's one of the reasons why I chose my uh, degree, politics and economics, yep. uh, is because I wanted to know how does the non-Christian think? Um, mm -hmm. What's the framework through which they view the world, either okay. subconsciously or consciously? And so realize going into university for those who are, uh, that you're going into, uh, in most cases, unless you're going to a very uh, reformed Christian university, you're going into a war zone. Uh, not just spiritually and morally, but actually intellectually, where people are not starting from the presupposition that the Bible is God's word and we determine truth using God's word. And so to be uh, as best equipped going in, I would say become familiar with the text that you're going to read uh, and that you're going to study. Don't shy away from them, engage with them, um, but also be robustly uh, confident that the scriptures are the framework and th the lens through which you can view all reality yeah. and that they are sufficient to answer the toughest of questions. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the scriptures, if, if you have a biblical worldview formed by just spending time, like robust time with God, like intense time with God, wrestling with him and his word, um, when you come across lies, you'll be able to so much more easily detect them. Yeah. Because the best way to determine a counterfeit is to know the, the authentic one, right? Yeah, I remember it was Spurgeon that said the best way to see that a stick is crooked is to lay a straight one beside it. Yeah. Um, so I guess part of what you're saying there is almost an antiquated practice now of, uh, you know, the quiet time, uh, reading God's word regularly, um, spending time with him in prayer, um, that sort of spiritual discipline. You, you would encourage young people oh, to... Absolutely, yeah. I, I think that is, like, if you're not engaging with God on a regular basis yeah. and spending time with him in prayer, it's... It's more just that you're adopting a Christian worldview and not actually knowing God, yeah. which I think is a great danger. So I'd say, yeah, I'd say that time is, is precious. Yeah. I think one of the other things I would recommend doing is read, um, read books by Christians okay. who are incredibly uh, well uh, educated, who are well in tune with the culture, yep. wars that are going on, and mm -hmm. how we can respond to these issues from a biblical perspective. Okay, so if you could give a, us three three books that you would highly recommend for young people to yeah. uh, to read, what would they be? Uh, one is called Tactics by Greg Cool. Uh, okay. That's brilliant. Okay. Um, that's one that gives us a great understanding of how to engage in apologetics and how to engage with people who are um, who might seem that they're neutral, but ultimately who we're all in a relationship with God. They're mm. just in a hostile relationship. Okay. That's, that's the first one, which I would really encourage people to read. Um, for apologetic value, the case for Christ is really good. Mm -hmm. Lee Strobel. Yeah. Lee mm -hmm. Strobel. It's just fundamentals of Christianity so that yep. we can be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. Yeah. There's a um, great movie on that now too. There is. Yeah. yeah a brilliant movie. So if you're too lazy to watch the book, just get out. <laughs> no, 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 don't do that. Read the book. Read the book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the book has, the book has a lot more in it than the movie. So yeah. you'll get, you'll get all the ins and outs. Yeah. Uh, I'd say that, 
Um, and I'd say a book on on God as well. Know who God is. So okay. Knowing God by J.I. Packer yeah, classic. Is, a, is a brilliant book. Mm-hmm. Um, so just know the God that we worship um, yeah. because that's that's the anchor. That's the uh, the foundation and the fortress which is going to hold you throughout your whole life is just knowing the character of God and trusting in him mm-hmm. rather than our emotions or our situation or our friendships, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Having him as the ultimate uh, cornerstone of our life is okay. so important. And um, what are some of the other areas in the book that you're going to explore? So you've talked about being prepared spiritually, being prepared intellectually. Yeah. What are some of the other areas? I think um, three of the other ones are relationally, uh, morally, and financially. Okay. Which I think are really important areas as well, as well as politically. What do you mean financially? So I think uh, going through university can be a tough time for a lot of people because they just don't have the funds to uh, to live a life that's... Um, it's comfortable in any respect. Mm. Uh, and so it's a difficult time for a lot of people, whereas other people come from very affluent families uh, where it's a time where they're just using a lot of money constantly mm. uh, and living very frivolously. And so I think that uh, from a biblical perspective, we ought to come at finances, especially at university, uh, from a Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should start patterns of generosity to our local church. Uh, we should start supporting missionaries, uh, those sort of things. And um I think it's also a time in which we can be wise in saving for the future, where in our culture it's a very popular thing to just go traveling around the world yeah. and to use all of our money on you know yeah. on ourselves. Yeah. I think that we need a biblical perspective on finances, mm. and I think that's that needs to start early at university. And maybe if I could just touch on um, touch on quite a few controversies today, but um, I've noticed a growing trend of young people, young Christian people, to date for years and years and years and years and years. Um, your thoughts on that is what? What do you think about the wisdom of? Um, I've also seen some young people get married while while at university. Mm. Your thoughts? Yeah, uh, it would be great if there was a biblical passage that just said date for six months to get married. Yeah, uh, I, I say yeah, this. There's I, no legalism here. Yeah, I say this because of my own my own heart. I know my own sin. Yeah, I know how susceptible I am. I know the mistakes I've made in the past, and I think that for me, I, I came to the realization that you know, dating for a long period of time is incredibly uh, unwise uh, dating is a period that you can use really intentionally to get to know someone yeah. and to work out is this the person I want to marry mm. um, if you're dating for the sake of just having fun uh, it's basically just using the other person for yeah. a period of time uh, to either be there in social it's not physically then emotionally exactly yeah mm. to be there with you in social gatherings to be an emotional um, support during university and whatever um, and so I think that being intentional about going into dating going well biblically speaking there's only really two states, maybe a third one. You know, We're either single or we're married or if you're biblical, we're betrothed at a certain point. Uh, but even then biblically, you have to get a divorce to, yeah. to betroth. Yeah. So I think that, um, yeah, when you're, when you're dating, the purpose that is your purpose. That doesn't mean that you need to stress out every time you meet up. It doesn't yeah. mean that you ought to be uh, overwhelmingly intense, but just have that in the back of your mind. Be clear in communication. Mm-hmm. And that, that'll save you from the problem of dating for five years, living in sexual sin mm-hmm. for four and a half, yeah. for even five of them. Uh, and it will give you a scope through which to view life. I think yeah. intentionality, discipline, uh, they're things that our culture doesn't value a whole lot these days. And you're seen as you know prude and um, and all sorts of things if you pursue that. But I think biblically speaking, to, to honor the Lord in dating and marriage, um, it's to value marriage and the best way you can value it is to look forward to marriage. And it's marriage. good to remember, isn't it? Like the Apostle Peter says, be holy as the Lord your God is holy. Mm. Um, God desires purity 
um, in all areas of our life, but especially sexually. Absolutely, yeah. And his desire is for his glory and for our good. Yeah. Uh, those two things always come hand in hand. It's not just we're honoring God to obey him and that's it, but mm. it's actually always for our good and for our joy. How do we guard, though, against um, people that are emotionally not ready to be married mm. uh, and might, you know, go in precipitously um, and rashly? Yeah, I think that over time we gain more and more self-perception. I feel like I know more about myself now than I did even when I got married. Yeah. And so there's a certain extent to which we'll never be mature enough to get married. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that's what, uh, that's what dating is for, to work out what sort of uh, person are you really uh, looking to marry mm-hmm. and biblically speaking, what are the priorities? Yeah. I think for some people they need to uh, date a couple of people to work that out. For other people, they just know straight away. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's a time where you can seek to protect your heart by putting clear boundaries in place, mm-hmm. um, but also just see it as a time of, uh, not in the secular sense, but of self-exploration in that you're trying to understand what is your what are your susceptibilities, what are your sins that you're dealing with, um, and how can, I, uh, how can I go into this sphere knowing that uh, and protecting myself against it with Scripture, with the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, maybe just one or two final questions. Um, if you were to give words of advice to young people um, going through uni, um, just exiting university, maybe even considering ministry, what would you say? Uh, for those going into university, I'd just say uh, be strong and courageous. Like uh, we read in the book of Daniel, mm-hmm. um, go in knowing that God is for you, he's not against you, and that you will survive this uh, trusting in the Lord because yeah. he, is, he has the power to sustain you. He is gracious enough to sustain you. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of different things that can attack you at university, f- ranging from anxiety to temptations to sin to well, all sorts of things. Mm. Um, but the Lord will will carry you through. And mm. I think for those who are uh, considering ministry work, I'd say um, examine your heart as to the motives as to why you would consider ministry work. Get involved in a local church like I was talking about before. Commit yourself to them so that you've got people around you who are encouraging you, holding you accountable, um, and who are able to affirm you uh, if there are certain uh, gifts that you have which you could then use to serve the church with. Yeah. So I said those uh, two things are really important. Yeah. Okay, and for those that are considering um, ministry themselves full-time? Yeah, uh, for those who are considering ministry full-time, it's not the second-grade career. Uh, it's not what you do if you don't get the internship you were hoping for. Yeah. Not what you do if you missed out on that job offer or that mm-hmm. promotion. Um, going to ministry is a is the it's got to be the top priority. Mm-hmm. It's the sort of thing you're willing to give up anything to go into. Mm-hmm. And so I'd say that you want to you want to make sure that that's where your heart is. Uh, like Spurgeon once said, uh, "Why would you um, be, why if God has called you to become a pastor, why would you stoop to become the king?" Mm-hmm. And I think that that's got to be the position of your heart. It's not to say that secular professions are useless. In fact, mm. I'm so thankful that God has placed that burden on people's hearts to reach people in the workplace and to mm. um, to use their God-given gifts to, to serve people. Yeah. But for those in ministry, that's the sort of burden that ought to be on our hearts, I think. Yeah, great. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. It's been great having you with us. Um, yeah, it's a pleasure. Been yeah. Great to hear your thoughts. Uh, it's been another episode of AP's Profiles in Christian Living. Um, next time, I'm going to have with me Dr. Stephen Chavera. Uh, a lecturer in political science, formerly at Macquarie University, now at Campion College in Sydney. But I'm Mark Powell. This has been Profiles in Christian Living, and I hope to see you next time.